Philippians chapter 3. I want to begin by reading the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3. If you'll notice, many of the songs that we sing, the last verse is usually or often a reference to heaven. And um, there's a reason for that because that's what we have to look forward to. And, um, and sad to say, again, I'm plugging the heaven study. Sad to say, we often have an image of heaven of sitting on a cloud and playing a harp. Well, most of us, I shouldn't say most of us. I'm not a big harp guy, okay? Um, it's okay to listen to a little harp music. We all have different tastes. Don't hold it against me. And you have things you don't like, okay? And, and so I just can't picture myself up there strumming a harp, you know? I mean, that's not like, yeah, let's go! And, and this study will help. And for that reason, many people really aren't looking forward to heaven. The things I love to do are here. This study will help you see, um, see heaven from a whole different light based on the Bible. And um, that's a good thing. Alright, Philippians chapter 3. That wasn't an introduction, that was just a duction, okay? Um, Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. We, we looked last week, and the last several weeks, we have been, uh, basically, to sum up everything, looking at, how do we live in this world that we're in? And, and what are truths that we need to focus on? And last week we looked at some of those truths that helped Paul to be able to have an attitude of 
rejoice in the Lord always. And, and that no matter what goes on around us, we can, can be rejoicing. And in this passage, we, we gain some insights from Paul that, that we'll touch on here after a little bit. But it's insights that help us to see Paul was one that, that wasn't just hanging on to the end. Paul was one that indeed was thriving. Um, this last year in soccer, we had a girl that nearly every time you'd ask her how you're doing, she'd say, thriving, thriving. And she'd have a big smile on her face and and and. And I found that refreshing. And and um, when when she didn't say that, I'd say, Yuna, are you thriving today? And then then she, yes, I am thriving today. Well, if I were to ask you, are you thriving today? Uh, thriving means prospering, doing well highly successful, growing and developing vigorously. See, many of you are gardeners, and sometimes in our garden the only thing that's thriving is weeds, right? They're always thriving. It doesn't matter, drought or too much rain. But sometimes when the things you desire are really growing, you love it when you see their they're growing and flourishing, developing vigorously. Well, let's bring it to our walk with God. To just your life. Is your life dying? Benjamin Franklin said um, many people die at the age 25. They're just not put in the ground until they're 75. Meaning, they're just going through life as a dead person. And there are people that are just dying. There's others that are, that are just trying to survive, you know, just to keep your head above water and, and, and just surviving. And then there are those that are thriving, that are... are developing vigorously, that they're flourishing, that they're doing well. And you might say, boy, that's hard to do. It's, as someone said, it's hard to soar with the eagles when you live with the turkeys, all right? So, um, and in the world that we're in, you might say, it, it's just hard. And life is hard. There's no question about it. Life is hard and presents many challenges. And, and in the world we're in now, we live in a world where we're trying to make sense out of nonsense. And, and how do we do that? And, and as I was thinking about this, I, I came to... Four things that we must understand, and then the fifth one is just the capstone on everything. But in order to in order to understand the times that we're living in, in order to have 
more than just surviving so that we can actually thrive, there's some, there's some issues, I guess you could say, or parts of our worldview on how we look at things that are foundational to, to developing a thriving attitude. And we must understand, number one, the natural state of the human heart. See, it's easy for us to, to look at people and think, they're basically good. Um, and we might say, well, I don't really think that, but we hold them to expectations of that. We say, why are they doing that? If, if we understood the natural state of the human heart, that the natural state of the human heart is bent toward evil. It's not just bent toward evil. It is immersed in evil. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is... This is God's diagnosis of the heart. The heart is deceitful and, it, and it's desperately wicked. And what he says in here is, <clears throat> we, we don't even know the depths of the wickedness of mankind. And, and someone might say, well, <clears throat> I, I know... Some good people, They're, they may not profess to be a Christian, they, they seem to have a good heart and, and desire to do right, <clears throat> and, and even, even in our best state, God said in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, all our righteousness, the very best that we can muster up, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And, and the term that he uses there is a, a rag that carries a great stench to it and, and is repulsive and such that you turn away. So, what God is saying, the human heart, apart from God, all that it can produce, even in its best state, all that it produces is that which is repulsive to God. And when you think about the world that we live in and you understand the natural state of the human heart, no evil should surprise us in our own lives and in the world around us. And as you look around the world... <clears throat> And, and you see the evil. It's interesting. Time magazine, which is never has been known as taking a conservative stand. Time magazine told us that the riots of a year ago, that during those riots there were weekly conference calls involving the leaders of the protests, the local officials who refused to stop them, 
and the media people who frame them for their political effect. This is a quote from Time Magazine. So, all that went on last summer in the riots and burning down cities and uh, five square blocks of Minneapolis uh, burned down, and as we heard a few weeks ago, it's a no-go zone and so on. And, and we think, wait a minute. It, it's bad enough that a mob would get together and do something like that, but then that it was organized and they had weekly conference calls and, and so on. But you know what? It shouldn't surprise us when you know the human heart. The human heart is evil. I mean, in, in the last 100 years... We have seen around this globe pictured for us evidences of, of the evil of the human heart. I mean, we have seen governments using extreme violence on citizens in the last hundred years that is breathtaking. Not like it has never existed before, but here historically, the shift to such violence is often breathtakingly swift and without warning. Let me, let me, and again, thankfully, we have been sheltered from this in America, and, and we haven't, oftentimes, we're not even aware of it, but in the last hundred years, this breathtaking shift of a government to turn violent on their own people has been manifested in the Soviet Union, in Cuba, Venezuela, Vietnam, Nicaragua, Cambodia, China, Honduras, North Korea, Algeria, Zimbabwe, East Germany, Bosnia, South Africa, Laos, Philippines, Haiti, El Salvador. All of those are just in the last 80 years. And under, under communism, 150 million people have been killed or slaughtered. I'm not here to debate certain forms of government. I'm here to illustrate the evilness in the heart of man. When I, when I visited um, the Soviet Union and I'd visit with believers there and we'd talk about do you vote? Well, we vote, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Everything is so corrupt. My heart was just grieved. I thought, man. And it, it made me thankful for what we have in this nation. But you understand the heart of mankind is bent toward corruption. So it shouldn't come as a surprise. We have been blessed in this land to be the recipients of the effects of a Judeo-Christian ethic that has predominated in our, in our society for many years. But it shouldn't surprise us the evil that is potentially avail, uh, abounding and is actually being wrought out. We, I'm, I'm not going to belabor this a lot, but let alone go into the sex trafficking, the pedophilia, the, the things of the, the pornographic industry, and all of these things. 
I mean, it is evil and it comes from the heart of man. That mankind could turn on their own people and literally stand back and watch them starve to death by their own doing and desire and say, oh well. And that's what you see throughout all of history. And it's a picture of the heart of man. So we need to understand the natural state of the human heart. Secondly, we need to understand man's rebellion against God. Turn to Romans chapter 3, if you would, please. Romans chapter 3. Notice in verse 10, and I want to read verses 10 through 18. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Here we have God's perspective of mankind. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've become altogether unprofitable. There is none who does good. And and he pictures the rebellion that mankind has against God. We're born with this sin nature. We're born in this rebellion. By nature, we are rebellious. And it is ultimately rebellion against God. I mean, by nature, we don't like being told what to do. We are, we are rebellious by nature. Um, read recently and, and heard someone say, um, when we when we made our workers work overtime, there was a bad morale. But when we said to them, um, "It is voluntary, but we really need if you're willing to," they said, "We get about as many people, and we get more work done." Why? Because they won't work told what to do. That's our rebellious nature. And when you combine our rebellious nature with the rebellion that Satan has, you understand Satan and man have always wanted to be God, have always wanted to control their own destiny. Satan was cast out of heaven because he said, I will be like the Most High. You read throughout history, mankind, the very beginning, you will be like God. You'll know good and evil. And Adam and Eve 
Satan is violently and viciously opposed to anything of God. And look at our world today, and it immediately helps you understand what's going on in our world today. Satan hates anything that gives glory to God. That's why Satan has come, as the Bible tells us, to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates human beings because we were made in the image of God. And when he sees us, he sees the, the, the workings of God. He knows that every human being is a potential spokesman for the grace and glory of God if they come to know Christ as Savior. So when you look around the world today, it shouldn't surprise us. I believe many times as Christians we're naive to the viciousness of the warfare, spiritual warfare that is going on and, and fail to understand it. Man and Satan's rebellion against God. Now, there's another aspect that we must understand to make sense so that we can thrive in this world. And that is, thirdly, we must understand God's holiness and judgment. God is the creator. He is the lawgiver because he made it. He can set the laws. He is the lawgiver. He is the judge. He is the redeemer. And he will come and claim his rightful kingship over all that he made. As the creator and lawgiver and judge and redeemer and king, God is holy, meaning he is separate from sin. Sin is completely foreign to his nature. Not just foreign, but it is opposed to everything about his character. His holiness is the number one attribute that God has. And God's holiness and his justice requires punishment for sin. Because God is a holy God, God will punish rebellion against him. And because there is so much evil and injustice in the world, Bible often talks about God's holy judgments that he brings. For example, in Ezekiel 28, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Zion, and I will manifest my glory in your midst, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence and the slain shall fall in the midst by the sword against her. Then they will know that I am the Lord. God is a God of love. God is a God of justice and holiness. And in God's perfectness of, of the mixture of all of his attributes, God brings judgment that is righteous judgment. 
just, God, in doing this. You are right in doing this because your holiness demands it. But we also know that God says it is of God's mercies that we are not consumed. Great is his faithfulness. Every day is a testimony. We sang every every morning that breaks, there are mercies to me. And it's true. But God is a holy God, and God is a just God, and God will bring judgment. And, and it's important for us to see that for our own personal lives. If something isn't done with my sin, I will bear the judgment of God. It also is important for us to see that in the world that we live in. Um, as much as, as our founding fathers and our nation wants to say there is liberty and justice for all, it is a, it is a fallen world, and there isn't always justice. But God is a just God, and God will bring judgment, and God will bring justice. So, understand the natural state of the human heart, the rebellious heart of man and Satan, God's holiness and judgment. And then it's important to make sense and to be able to thrive in this world that we understand God's prophetic timetable. I'm not saying you need to understand every detail of the seals and bowls and judge, trumpets of the judgments of the book of Revelation. But when you understand what God has clearly told us of his timetable, it helps you be at peace in this world. He tells us many, many things, and we don't have time to go into many of them here this morning. But he tells us, in the last days, these are these are things that you will you will begin to see happen. But more so than that, he tells us that there is going to come in this world a a ruler that will raise up, and all the world will follow, and he will establish a one-world currency, and. And you will not be able to buy or sell unless you have his mark on your hand or in your forehead. Now, when you see some of these things fitting into place, it wasn't that many years ago that you would say, there's no way there'll ever be a one world currency. I mean, you can't get the nations to agree on anything. There'll never be a one world. And how would they enforce it? Well, look at, look at today. I mean, you don't have to go into very many details to understand we're a global economy, and, and they're already talking, they're already experimenting in, in the Seattle area with um, Amazon One, is that what it is? That you can make your purchases with, with your hand, and, and it will take care of everything to your bank account, to everything. It shouldn't fill us with fear. It should say, wow, exactly what God said is coming true. See, let's back up a little bit. God said Israel would be scattered around the, the corners of the earth. But he said, but I will bring them back and raise them up as a nation. No nation has ever been scattered in the history of mankind 
So when you know God's prophetic timetable and you see that, you go, whoa. rebellious bone in your body again. We are rebellious, even as believers, but it's only Jesus Christ that can cause us to 
say, have, have thine own way, Lord. It's only Jesus Christ that can cause us to submit to Him. It is only Jesus Christ that meets the righteous demands of God's holiness. No matter what we do, it can never reach the demands that God has of His holiness. But what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Christ. And when Jesus Christ is applied, we are made righteous in Him. He alone will have His will and way in the nations and the governments in history. Turn to Philippians chapter 3 again. Philippians chapter 3. You notice if you look in verse 3, he, he's telling them to rejoice in the Lord again. I want you to be thriving in the walk with the Lord. And, and he said in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might have confidence in the flesh. And he goes on and says, but notice what he said. It is Christ alone. We have no confidence in the flesh. He said, if anybody had confidence in the flesh, I was the high, I was the high class Hebrew. I was the high class Israeli. And I was not only that, I was a member of the Pharisees. And you talk about zeal, I was their hit squad. I went out and was wiping out Christians. I, I had everything. But he says, I don't glory in that because none of that could meet the righteousness of God. And he said, so I glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I have counted for loss. Yet indeed I also count all things for the loss of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in Him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Notice what he said. I count all my accomplishments as garbage because they couldn't make me righteous. But the righteousness of Christ was put to my account and I am made righteous in Christ Jesus. And he said, because of that, he goes on and says, that's why I want to know Him and I want to know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering and I want to be made like Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our only hope. My heart my, the natural state of my heart is evil, evil, evil. And only Jesus Christ can fix it. The, the natural attitude of, of myself is rebellion. And don't want to be told what to do. Not even by God, but it's only Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ at work in my heart that can cause me to come and and say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
the holiness of God, no matter what I do, nothing can meet the holiness of God and avert the judgment of God. I am condemned already, John 3.36 says. But Jesus Christ gives forgiveness. And, and all of the, the prophetic timetable and how are these things going to work and things seem out of control... God's in control. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus will reign and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that ought to make us say, wow, Jesus Christ can change my heart and my attitude and fulfill the righteousness of God in me. That ought to make us say, God, I want to know you and the power of you. And I want to be made conformable to your death. And we didn't read it. Paul said, I'm going to press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Someone wrote, in the difficult moments, seek God. In the quiet moments, worship God. In the painful moments, trust God. And in every moment, thank God. Because it's all Jesus. And, and if anyone should be thriving in this world, and I'm not saying um, necessarily successful in, in monetary and possessions as the world counts success. I mean having joy in the midst of difficulty. I mean having peace in the midst of the storm. I mean being able to rejoice in the Lord always. It should be we as Christians. But we need to understand these truths. And when you look at the world and you see the evil, and, and it shouldn't surprise you. No, that's why Christ came. And we better first of all make sure that we are a child of God and then it ought to burden us to help others know. Education can't reform a heart. Money, all the money you throw at something can't reform a heart. Only Jesus Christ can. And that's why He's left us here. So see, God isn't, God isn't wanting us just to... to hang on by the last thread or just, just to keep our, our nose above the water until He comes and rescues us. He wants us to have victory in Jesus. He wants us to be thriving, to, to be as the Apostle Paul. And, and really, that's, that's a word that comes to mind when I think of Paul. He was thriving in the world that was not friendly to God or any followers of God, but Paul was thriving. But we must come back. It's not a positive mental attitude thing. We must come back and stand in the truth of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that You really would be our life. Lord, I believe You have you are at work in our lives and bringing uh, things into our lives, COVID, allowing that to come into our world to help us to say, 
wait a minute, what is there that I can trust? And Lord, I rejoice that we can trust only in you. Lord, I rejoice that Jesus Christ can change our heart. That you can give forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ as we call upon you for the forgiveness of sin. That your righteousness is then put on our account. And that we can rest in the fact that you are in control. And that you will have your way in all the nations, in all the plans. And Lord, I pray that we would have a renewed love and commitment to Jesus Christ because you alone are worthy. Lord, may as a result of the truths of your word, we truly be walking in victory. May we thrive in our faith. May we grow vigorously, as, as the word means. And Lord, may you be glorified. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for evidences of your working, as we saw in the Apostle Paul. And Lord, may we be more than conquerors through you, we pray 